Oh man, I saw the worst bumper sticker of all time this week. You saw you saw a coexist bumper sticker. <laughs> uh, it's funny because like the pantheon of bad <laughs> bumper stickers is wide and varied, right? Like, look forward to our episode about like if you're gonna ride my ass, at least pull my hair. <laughs> that is this episode. We talk about the cowboy billionaires. Yeah, no. So I was walking the dog and happened upon a little a little Honda, and it had an Obama bumper sticker on it, which is not that uncommon. Uh, particularly in this town. Uh, but I happened to notice that they had made some adjustments. This was not your standard run-of-the-mill Obama 08 or Obama Hope. Was it one of those no-bomba bumper stickers that I would sometimes see at home in the South? Is that right? I've never seen oh, that. Oh, yeah. I would occasionally see no-bomba. <laughs> That's such a weak need burn. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I love is that, like, Obama, we obviously have a lot of beef. But he remains imp- like incredibly difficult to make fun of. Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard to get too many sick burns on porridge. Like, <laughs> like, uh, how do you how do you really like make business as usual feel bad about itself? He's sort of the ultimate deep state bureaucrat in that way. Like, he was evil, but he did it in a very genteel manner. Yeah. Uh, so, what was this bumper sticker? So this one, it was Obama. But over the 08 or 12 or whatever, they had purchased a couple stickers so mm-hmm. that they could put in Obama 16. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, no. Why would you do that? Uh, because hope, Zachary. No, it just, I don't know. There was something <laughs> so beautiful about the level of investment that you're like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm going to go, I'm going to find, I'm going to DIY my love for neoliberal, like, bullshittery. Like, that's how much I want this. Well, what I'm really excited for is for them to buy more stickers for 2020. Otherwise, they're really not committed. Yeah, I mean, for all the uh, like shit libs have said about like, oh, you know, Trump's trying to be a dictator. He's never going to like allow another democratic election. He just wants to be a king forever and get rid of term limits. Like, that's what you're advocating for. Like, <laughs> you put it on your car, the notorious place that people put the worst parts of themselves. Can I, I don't know if I understand the premise of the bumper sticker. Uh, no, I think this is really important to dive into. Um, okay, so like, you know how you're an insufferable clown, right? Oh, the worst. Yeah, but like for lots of people, it was harder to let everyone know what an insufferable clown you were because mm. podcasts weren't invented yet. <laughs> so you needed a way to communicate with the world. Uh, that like I am a terrible person full of bad ideas and I think bumper stickers were really there for us in our time of need is there an argument to be made that bumper stickers were the first podcasts <laughs> uh, it's almost as good as the other thing that I saw written on the back of someone's car the other day and this was totally handmade they had made a <laughs> whole they had covered up their entire little back tire Mm-hmm. Uh, that they had hanging off the back as like a Jeep or whatever. And it says, Jesus loves you. And then it qu- quotes Second Chronicles 7. And it's talking about commanding the <laughs> locusts to devour the land or sending oh, no. pestilence among my people. Uh, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek thy face and turn from their wicked ways. And then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will he- heal their land. Uh, so you heard it here first, folks. Don't worry about staying in place. Just turn and repent, and God will heal our broken land. 
or send pestilence. Hard to say which one's happening right now. <laughs> Could be both. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Shitty Christians. I'm your host, Zachary Allard. And I'm Michael Tabor. And we are going to be bringing to you the second part of our interview with the illustrious Sarah Archer. And we'll be finishing our discussion of Rats Make Believe Marriage, Christmas Brides for Billionaire Brothers, Seven Sons Ranch, and Three Rivers Romance, book one by Liz Isaacson. One of seven, to be clear. Um, as you can imagine, the book gets more normal as we go along yeah no it's actually a really boring episode because everything is totally chill but before we get into that michael what's going on what is important to understand about the state of the world right now is that our religious freedom is under attack yes thank you you know i've been saying i i think it's really important to say that like as a as a white christian man i feel this just looming sense of dread and fear. I go down an alley and I worry about boots behind me. You yeah, know, bra- brown shirts breaking into our church. It's hard when society has been constructed to uh, limit your options <laughs> and make your life more challenging. That's really hard. I feel for anyone in that position, like us straight white Christian guys. <laughs> I called this weeks ago that the moment <laughs> Christians couldn't weren't supposed to be a church some idiots were going to frame this as a religious liberty issue because okay Christians okay do you get to obsessive. pat yourself on the back for that like do you really like oh you shot some fish in a stupidity stupidity barrel like <laughs> hey, hey look michael if we're talking about the things i allow myself to pat myself on the back for <laughs> it's a low fucking bar okay <laughs> but, let's start this out by saying there's a quarantine. Everyone is supposed to stay home. There's not supposed to be gatherings of multiple people anywhere. You probably you may know be this. aware. This is a very, a very, frankly, reasonable and a little late to the party addition to our corona <laughs> response that most places, at least, are doing a full, some form of full quarantine, essential businesses only. Other than that, I think the official wording of the the like ordinances is stay the fuck at home. Most Christians have been fine. Most people have stayed home. Yeah. Totally. Like this is not this is not like a systemic issue, but it well, is a slight, somewhat recurring one. I was gonna say, like you're right, it's not systemic. It's not like oh, yeah. the American church is refusing this thing, but it, it's also not just one guy either. Right? No. Like, yeah, I didn't. I didn't just dig up a crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I dug up several crazies because this is the that's the premise of shitty Christians. So what are they doing in response to these very simple steps we're all taking to try to save each other's lives? Uh, most prominently, you have Al Mohler in the Federalist. We've talked about the Federalist on the podcast before. Like, what a what a special institution that is. Like they they are funded by some extremely creepy dark money, and sure. still manage to have a terrible website. They have uh, a like, terrible I'm, website. They're they're also just like has beens. Like this era of right wing ideology, the like mm-hmm. faux principled small government. Like you mm-hmm. know, we need to care about like 
things like the debt uh like that's gone it's dead and this is just this vestigial thing that's just being held together by the like three billionaires that aren't like out and out fascist yet <laughs> no i want to this is actually hilarious i was reading the federalist yesterday you know as i do you know i i, I have my evening the one cup paper of... subscription <laughs> i have my evening cup of oolong in the federalist <laughs> and they have this terrible thing whereas on the corner of the right corner of the page they they have a little pop-up that is like advertising other articles to you and i swear it was advertising me an article that was about a sports illustrated cover from 2015 that was at the time garnering some controversy uh because her because boobies well no because her bikini bottom was slung perilously low and i will this was a real controversy in 2015 <laughs> that the new york times wrote about it things like that what a and simple time I have to say, the Federalist hilariously had a ta- had a take that was like, "That's eh, fine. Who cares?" <laughs> Did not expect that that uh, would be the, the Federalist, article. notoriously pro FUPA. Yeah. Uh, so Al Mohler wrote an article in this August publication titled "Government Officials Use Pandemic as Excuse to Attack Christianity." Uh, thank God. You know, no, I appreciate somebody's looking out for us. So what's amazing is you have this like major figure of the Christian evangelical movement. We've talked about him before. He's the president of Southern Seminary, which is probably one of the biggest evangelical seminaries in the world. And he's just been a big voice in that movement for 30 plus years. Uh, you can tell he's a big deal because he has a daily podcast. And so he's, so he starts by saying like, hey, look, it's a dangerous time. But I'm really concerned that religious services are not considered essential. He says, declaring religious services to be not essential is beyond the rightful role of government. Oh, yes. Uh, Theologian and constitutional scholar. (laughs) Three days before Easter, Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher actually threatened that churches even attempting to meet in cars for a drive-in service would face police officers in the parking lot to record license plates of all vehicles in attendance. What is this, Nazi France? I mean, that is explicitly the connection he makes. Sadly, Mayor Fisher was not alone. Kentucky's governor, Andy Brashear, also a Democrat, stopped (laughs) short of disallowing drive-in services, but warned against them. There is a clear pattern here, and it should set off alarm bells from sea to shining sea. People trying to save your life. Yes, you're right. (laughs) In a detail that I really love, to be clear, my own congregation did not consider a drive-in worship service. As a high church Baptist, yes, we exist. Boo. No, no, you don't. There's no such thing as a high church Baptist. Fuck off. I I know what the high church is, and I know what Baptists are. But how the fuck do you put them together? He keeps going. From coast to coast, various government officials have issued unconstitutional and inanities about what is and what is not essential for many oh. stay-in-place orders. Declaring religious services to be non-essential is beyond the rightful role of the government. This shit just makes me tired more than anything. I mean, kind of everything <laughs> makes me tired at this point. But, like, what is your point, man? Like... You already said you're not doing this. Like, why are you so mad at people for saying, like, hey, don't do this? No, I think that's actually you're really hitting the crux of it is is so you don't think people should be in church, but you don't think the government should have any opinion 
about that. I mean, I, I think it goes back to, like, religious liberty, religious freedom. And I, I think we should actually do an entire episode of this at some point. Because I, I think it's really insidious how the sort of, like, judicial right and all these people have been pushed it. Essentially are trying to continue to move the goalposts to where the government can never do anything. Say anything about any church ever. In any that the that the church, kind of the way it was in certain parts of the mid, like Middle Ages, is wholly autonomous from the state. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then and then next thing you know, those mega churches will have their own paramilitary forces, and it's just, or, or no, like Jerry like, or like Jerry Falwell Jr. issuing issuing fucking arrest warrants. Oh yes, getting the local police to go after journalists. Very, very good. Very cool good. stuff. Uh, I think it's important to connect the dots from something like this mm-hmm. to something like mm-hmm. Hobby Lobby, uh, yep. being able to not provide birth control to its employees, right. and that that got exempted based on a religious exemption. Like, like they they don't want any institution to be able to I don't know make them act human. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they they get to define your health care. Like, they get to define your rights. Their rights supersede yours. Absolutely. It's their right to choose, not yours. Right. And so, like, that's, I think, what, what makes it, like, it's funny on some level. Like, this, like, high church Baptist simpleton um, talking about, like, well, churches, it's their, like, it's funny on its face, but it's also really insidious. It's this notion that, like, the state has never any right to enforce its laws over a church but a church is absolute right and i think that's actually extremely dangerous but if al Mohler's always the guy that's just going to talk shit but never be about it like there are other pastors and other churches that are going to actually push these limits there was that florida mm-hmm. pastor it made national news who got arrested because he continued holding church services and i watched video of that service and they had people like dozens if not hundreds of people all in there they're all standing like three to five feet away from each other as if mm. like corona magically can't get <laughs> more than six feet away from you like they weren't even six feet away from each other but the point is that like guys that is a like recommendation for like passing contact that is not something that's okay to just stand in a room with dozens of other people for their three hour church service nobody was in mass and yet somehow when not only like when he was arrested not only was he Mm -hmm. complaining about being the victim of a tyrannical government the governor listened to him and issued an executive order to designate religious services as essential activities it's this constant moving of the goalposts, and it's what every organization wants, and you're seeing it all over America, from churches to private companies just trying to completely abnegate any, you know, we pretend like the government is this other thing. It's supposed to be the will of the people, and completely pushing that off to where their rights will supersede other people's. And especially in issues of healthcare, in issues of like a pandemic, like that has real impacts. And and you see the way they're pushed, they're trumping it up. You know, Al Mohler ends his article. One of the things he says is many of the officials trampling on religious liberty are elected Democrats, a party that has been trending in a secular direction for decades. There now. it is. They're gonna they're gonna keep doing this until until basically where if you have an abortion in the same zip code you're 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 tramping on a church. It's really weird to watch the culture wars become actual wars because now people are gonna die over this shit. 
Like, mm-hmm. people are going to go to these services, get corona, and fucking die. And that is a crazy thing to be happening over some fucking late period 90s evangelical nonsense that they're still trumpeting out. You know, this wasn't just Al Mohler being no, a federalist. Not. There was a writer in Breitbart, um, Christians must stand up against the assault on religious liberty. And it's, it is just parroting the exact same language again and again. Um, but it does open with something funny. Um, I am personally thankful, he writes, to Donald Trump for taking the necessary precautions early to slow the spread. Early. Making every resource available to combat the virus. As long as you suck his dick in a press conference. I think what's so funny about that is that's just a lie. It's not even close. It's not even funny. Um, and then he says, this week, we have witnessed several first-hand accounts of religious discrimination and the selective targeting of worship gatherings at religious assemblies. He complains about Kentucky and Mississippi. It's and every business. Again. It's yep. every business that isn't fucking food or medicine. What are you talking about? Well, his argument to that would be major retailers, liquor stores, and a abortion clinics remain open oh, for business oh michael yep uh-huh when civil authorities go beyond safety guidelines and overreach christians should be ready for a fight by whatever legal means necessary it's always this i mean it's always this thing like abortion clinics are open so i should be able to spread coronavirus to my elderly parishioners <laughs> also guys listen the worst the worst thing about being a christian is going to church like, can't we just take the W for once? I don't have to shake anyone's hand. I don't have to do any greeting. I don't have to, like, pretend to care about songs that are bad. I don't have to listen to people sing songs that should never be singing them. Like, what an amazing victory for our faith that we can just take a break from what we've made church. Uh, I, I, my faith has never been stronger than I'm Yeah, right? Oh, man, dude, like... I have listened to some, like, bomb-ass sermons via YouTube. It's great. I love it. And the last thing I'll name-check is uh, a much crazier far-right-wing uh, blog sort of publication called Pulpit and Pen published, Church is Not a Building, You Say, that meets somewhere else already. What I love about that is the entire premise is we're not supposed to be meeting right now anywhere, you assholes. There is, I've seen this pop up a couple times on the internet Mm. from people being like, guys, we are called to be together. That's what God said Mm -hmm. that we needed to Mm -hmm. do. Uh, So like, you know, we have to do this. This is like, this is like the early Christians, man. Coronavirus (laughs) is our lions in the gladiatorial arena. But, you know, we have to be faithful. It's like, look, 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 nobody said it was easy. You know, you have to face it head on. It's like. No, that's not what this is. Just be safe. It will pass. Then go back to church. Yeah. And and it's 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 comically legalistic. You know, it's well, exactly what Jesus was fighting the Pharisees about. Like I think hey, it man. is comically legalistic. I agree with that. But I also think that we need to look at when we see the churches that are pushing back on this. They are often mega churches. They are often churches mm. that already, mm. in terms of their form and function, exist to make people very wealthy. So like, you can't turn off that spigot. Like, that's not yeah. helpful. So why not make it a religious freedom issue? Because then mm. then you can have people feeling like they're taking a stand when they show up to endanger their lives and give you money. Uh, you know, it's not very different from the voting that we saw at this point in terms of just like, 
oh that's a great point we are we are going this is so valuable to us we care so much more about this fraudulent election or my like third private jet that like your life that doesn't matter at all man this is not relevant and again our church countless other churches 99 percent of churches have no issue doing this they they totally. they're they're doing what they need to do because we're human beings and we're all trying to get through this together but like Man, there is a segment of our faith that is mm-hmm. really showing their ass right now. And the fact that like Al Mohler, a man who represents a, in many ways, like what establishment evangelical faith, like he's also stepping up to that plate being like, hey, 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 don't you come for our freedom now. Spoiling for a fight with no one over nothing uh, is really telling. Because he's not he's not a crazy, at least in terms of how we evaluate right. crazies in the public sphere. Like... He's as middle of the road as they come when it comes oh, yeah. to like many matters of faith. He's yeah. the Joe Biden of the SBC. He's the establishment candidate for sure. So there's one more take that you found, Zach. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna call this. I'm gonna call this Galaxy Brain Christianity, uh, <laughs> because this take went beyond like, hey, don't let them use this pandemic pandemic to take away your right to bad worship mm-hmm. songs, like. <laughs> You found Jim Daly. Jim Daly is the current head of Focus on the Family and as such a personal hero of mine because he has kept Adventures in Odyssey on the air after all these years. They're full in on Rick and Morty different timelines yeah, at this no, point. Totally. It, it is full multiverse over there. Check check in with Mr. Whitaker when you get a second. But, <laughs> you know, I've seen a lot of heroes fall this week. <laughs> That's Bernie telling me I'm a bad socialist if I don't vote for Joe Biden. Or Jim Daly. <laughs> Zach. So Jim, so Jim Daly wrote an article uh, for Fox News Opinion. And hit the title of it is, God is using coronavirus, the coronavirus pandemic to accomplish his purposes. What? It's like, I guess God hated those 30,000 people that are, or so that have died yeah, in America. I, I guess his purpose must have been killing everyone's grandma. Slash half the nurses. Just ha- half of all nurses. Here's the thing. God believes... That they should have gone to med school. Yeah, you know, if they wanted to live, they could have smeared lamb blood on their PPE. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Woo. Feel a little chill. Hey, uh, moving on. He basically says that, like, maybe this is the chance to slow down. Sort of appreciate life a little bit. He writes, in my few outings beyond the walls of my home, I notice that people are inquiring about one another's health. Friends are checking in more frequently on the phone or on email. And there's a renewed openness to spiritual conversations with people who might otherwise never consider darkening the door of a church. It's So it's like, hey, look, listen, people are dying. Medical workers are giving their lives and risking their lives every day yeah. just to save people in a broken system. But Unwilling like, martyrs to the cause. Like, like it exactly. should not be this way. Uh, ultimately, but, you know, their deaths are not, I think, should not be construed as personal heroism, although I do think there is heroism involved in caring for others. But their their deaths are an indictment of our system that was so broken that it could not in any way be prepared for this. Uh, like, Oh, that's so if true. You're, no, if I mean, your only takeaway from nurses dying or fucking bus drivers in Detroit 
dying is like oh man look thank you for your service like fuck you i love that so much that like hey we really appreciate you doing this unnecessary thing that could have been fixed with a better system we really appreciate you the way that you impaled yourself on the spike pit that we pushed you into (laughs) oh gosh it's true though and and like his like it's so it's so like who is our god Mm -hmm. if this is what he's about if what he wants is for people to suffer, uh, to unleash plague and famine on the world that more might find him. Like, if if this is your conception of God, that he basically has to, like, neg you with death into a relationship with him, like, how horrifying is that God? Like, that is the God of atheists right there. Like, if I believed that that's who our God was, like, I wouldn't fucking be a part of any of this shit. Like, God is not judoing human misery. Like, that is not his deal. (laughs) Like, we live in a broken and fallen world and terrible things happen, but that's not, like, secretly God upstairs giggling about it, being like, oh, this is how I'm going to get people to, like, acknowledge my existence. And this is also just, like, that's totally true. It's this, like comically bad portrait of god saying that like god is using this so you can like reconnect with sudoku puzzles because like it's it's also peak rich guy god is inviting us he writes to take inventory of what's really important in his graciousness he's providing us with an opportunity to become reacquainted with our families the rollback of our freedoms is fostering a newfound of appreciation for the luxuries of normal everyday living it's like motherfucker what about the people who can't afford that what about the tens of millions unemployed now what about the people we were working minimum wage jobs so you can sit at home with your kids in your fucking plants. Yeah, what about what about your delivery drivers that are putting themselves at risk just so you can get your shitty like fourth grocery delivery this week? Is this about some asshole having a staycation and and God, attributing it to so, God? Like that's so true. God, like he thinks God, God wants him to slow down. God really wanted me to get Zoom Premium. <laughs> No, you're so right. This is this is spoken from a position of no personal danger or threat and also mm-hmm. no care for any of the millions of us that are in those positions. Oh, yeah, completely. Well, it, it assumes the humanity only of people who are able to just like cool chill it in their nice house. Oh, God, I, I just read his next line. The irony of all this oh, happening no. now in the midst of Passover and Easter should not be lost on anyone. That's great. That's a take. <laughs> What's what's amazing is that every year during Passover, during the celebration of it, Jewish folks still like acknowledge the death more of fa- of the Egyptian firstborns, and he is acknowledging the death of his own countrymen. Man, what what a heavy weight the word irony is carrying there. <laughs> like we're talking about the weight of thousands of lives being wrapped up in the term irony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God sent this plague upon us so that you could have a, an extra anecdote for your Easter sermon, bro. Hey, look, Michael, sometimes, you know, you're going too hard. You're just crushing too much <laughs> with focus on the family. You're making you're just, too many millions of dollars. Exactly. You are preventing too many people from having health care. You have stopped too many women from getting abortions or health care. And you just need to stop and smell the roses, it's man. It's time to take a break. Lean back. <laughs> you know, man, like, get one of those fancy juicers and just chill for a bit. You know what? 
God sent this so that you could have your Netflix binge. <laughs> God wanted you to really understand the life and times of Joe Exotic. <laughs> so how did he bring home that? Uh, how did Jim Daly bring home his treatise on why Corona is good because he can uh, take naps? Basically says this is Easter. Life triumphs over death because... Uh, Christians have never met a cliche that they can't shellac with a bit of dishonesty. <laughs> uh, I think the, th- the ending that hit the most for me was when he clo- quotes uh, Blaise Pascal. And oh, he says, yes. all men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. Okay, so Blaise like, Pascal wasn't trying to speak to this moment. Uh, <laughs> I don't really know that much about him because I am an ignorant public school educated dickweed. The official position of shitty Christians has always been we don't read. Yeah, so, du- double fuck. down, fuck you. Uh, so, <laughs> fuck. But like, holy mother of God. Well, to apply that to the current moment when people yeah. are homeless or they might have a room without food. 17 million people have lost their home. Uh, and there's no rent abolition on the horizon. So these people are going to be drowning at best. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's not counting the millions of workers or the hundreds of thousands of workers who are risking their lives to try to get people fucking toilet paper or the other tens or hundreds of thousands of people who are risking their lives to try to save people's lives. Uh, and all of that, he somehow manages to sum up in the idea that, like, all of men's miseries are derived from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. Like, yeah, people the can't amount chill, of privilege mm-hmm. that you have to have for that to be your takeaway. Like, these people aren't even good at lying. I think that's what gets me. Is like, mm-hmm. all you have mm-hmm. to do is keep the grift going, dude. All you have to do is not left the ma- let the mask down and show people what a truly horrific monster you are. And yet somehow, they can't even accomplish that. I, I, I totally think that really hits the nail on the head. Because, like, you know, we're children of media. We, 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 we love books and movies uh, and TV shows. And, and I think there's this presumption in fiction that... You know, the villains, the bad guys, like, they, there's there's a cloak. You know, there's doublespeak. And 1984 is great, but it, it's a, that it's more, that there's a subtlety and nuance to it. Because, you know, it, it has to be for a fictional world, but the reality is far, far stupider than that. Yeah, they can just beat you over the head with this bullshit, and a certain segment of the culture is going to be like, true, true, true. I think one of our the fi- my final thoughts on this is that we've reached a point where actually it doesn't matter, where we're propaganda we're we're almost in a post propaganda world, and I kind of want to like return to this at a bigger bit because I think that's an interesting idea, but I think we're in a post propaganda world. I can just tell you, we well, should reopen the economy and kill grandparents because that's worth it. Billionaires' like, that, wealth that, that, is increasing even... as seventeen right. million Americans lose their job. Right, like they don't have to sell you anymore yeah we're just, just openly fraudulent you know there's there's this old idea of manufacturing consent at a certain point it doesn't matter yeah i mean they're they parading bernie sanders nude through the streets right now game of thrones style like it's it's dark man we're in a dark timeline right now yeah and i i i, I kind of struggle to feel black like not feel blackpilled about it because we are just in this phase where they just they they put the gun to your head and tell you when they're gonna pull the trigger yeah <laughs> and, and, and with that let's get back to romance novels <laughs> um, happy easter everybody on that sort of terribly bleak note let's get back to sarah archer i want to find out what happens with these two crazy kids Rhett and evelyn 
right, so let's let's move a little bit forward. They yeah, so they're married. They're married. They had their honeymoon at a series of museums. Go to the oh, windmill museum. museum. <laughs> what the fuck? And she is amped. I just want to be clear. They are fucking hype about it. And and then brother Jeremiah is pissed. He thinks their strict no women. The the author writes their strict no women pact had definitely solidified them. <laughs> yeah, it brought them together. <laughs> and then they all have dinner together, all the brothers and the sisters. Yeah, yeah. So there. This is the moment when they're sort of coming out to the rest of the family that they are in fact married. Some of them know, yep. but not everyone knows, and it turns into a big old fight. Because Jeremiah just loses his damn mind. He's like, he's got an axe in his hands. He's like chopping up the kitchen table. Uh, But he's just so stinking upset that one of the sisters has to go take Jeremiah outside (laughs) and yell him back better. And there's an extended scene where the entire rest of the like brothers and sisters are just sitting there watching her scream at him being like, yeah, you go girl. (laughs) It's it's <laughs> extremely normal stuff. I kept thinking it says Christmas brides for billionaire brothers. I I it's kept book waiting. One, Michael. Yeah, I didn't quite realize. We've got to stretch this out. We're seven books. Yeah, I I kept expecting for a multi marriage situation, but I didn't realize that like clearly all these other brothers and sisters are also being set up in various ways. Uh, and so you know Jeremiah's the hothead, so he has to talk to the sister that's also kind of like intense. Uh, but that just never comes to any fruition in this. And I was really disappointed. Yeah. There are eyes made like a good chunk of the book is like, uh, multiple brothers wanting to be with her sister, Callie, because again, this is essentially PG incest. Like it is just going to be, I guarantee you the end of this story are all the same brothers marrying the same sisters, all having a bunch of inbred cousins who all then marry each other. Yeah. She breaks bad for the last one. It's just a giant sibling orgy. Yeah, <laughs> excited to get there. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned to this pod for that. So we're gonna kind of jump ahead a little bit. He gets called on a case. They don't do anything but say he gets called on a case, and it never comes up again. She briefly lives at the house, but is never there. And Rhett gets super pissed. Yeah, because she's not even eating breakfast with them. Also, it's so weird that like they're trying to keep the fact that their marriage is fake a secret, yet she lives in the house with the brothers who all know that she lives in a separate room from Rhett. Yes. <laughs> they don't sleep in the same room. She's public. never there. Also, the premise is that it's public, so she can get more business. Yeah. <laughs> like they they don't even have any sort of internal logic within their illogical idea. Yeah, it is, I, her living in a separate room and just being really uncomfortable there is like, one of the strangest like why is any of this happening and Rhett just being so upset that she's not hanging around more with the brothers who hate her like, like she is she is behind enemy lines at this point and Rhett's just like why won't you drink coffee with me <laughs> that that is so true if this had turned into like a horror story where she has to like make it out of the house before the brothers hunt her down and sacrifice her, that would have been a way more interesting. Tale. It would have also been more naturalistic to billionaires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they get a house. What I what I love about this is that he has multiple billions of dollars. They're in West Texas, where we could all afford anything. And and I want to find. I own several mansions in West Texas yeah. currently. 
And they go look at a house and it's a quote, described as a quote, little white house with three bedrooms and three bathrooms and a great big fenced yard for Penn, who I think is their dog. And tiger. <laughs> who is now canonically the tiger. <laughs> Again, even if you're a millionaire, why are you at a house that's like my parents? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's like it's trying to play on this fantasy of a man like taking care of you and buying you things. He buys her this house. He buys a house full of furniture and everything that she needs. But they're not willing to really like go there with the fantasy because that seems too, I don't know, distasteful or something. So it has to be like, oh, it's just this nice little middle class house. It's very, it's very bizarre that juxtaposition in the morality of it all. The true eroticism of this book is its relationship with wealth. The like attraction revulsion <laughs> divide is most clearly seen with the wealth. Uh, but yeah, he also buys the house. Uh, doesn't tell her that he's buying the well, house. I at think first. it's important to say she wants to rent, which is funny. So she dumb. wants. To, he's a billionaire, and she wants to spend money on landlords. They, what the fuck? <laughs> And then he furnishes the entire house without her knowledge or consent on any item. And then, after it's all tastefully appointed, he has to then decry any relationship with that. He's like, oh, I didn't pick anything out. I don't, I don't do any of that interior decorating shit. That would, be, that would not be cowboy of me. So I just walked in with a credit card and let the lady at the store do it. Like, he, he furnishes the whole thing. And then he's like, no, 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 no. It wasn't me, though. It wasn't me, though. It wasn't me, though. Like, truthfully, Rhett is, has been looking at swatches for, like, 15 years. That's the guy that he is. He knew exactly what he wanted this house to be. Uh, he's an interior decorator at heart, just sort of, like, living the sad lie of being, like, a dead horse investigator. I wish I wish those swatches hadn't been made of human skin, but, like, whatever. <laughs> you have to meet people where they're at. So they move into this house together. And and the book, I, I think this is where we need to get into the relationship we've talked yeah, about. The yeah, wealth yeah. we talked about, Rhett. So the book, this is the, the strangest part of, it, of, of the strangest book. Uh, this is the strangest book written by David Lynch. And the book constantly insists, we have to talk about that they are not married. In their thoughts, they are both like, we are not married. And Rhett, basically from the time, it's been about a week since they've gotten married and moved into a house. And he basically constantly is making out with her, feeling her up, and being like, I love you, we should be together. And... She is constantly like, he's okay. He makes my blood run hot, but do I like him? Are we married? What happens next? There was this constant like thought of like, well, this is a fake marriage. What happens when this ends? Well, he explicitly buys the house for fucking. Like he buys the house. <laughs> he says, he's like, well, I'm hoping we get to do those things that married people do. So like they're in this fake marriage, but there is a like physical component, but they don't really acknowledge where they're coming from emotionally. And it's just, it's very bizarre. These people cannot fucking talk ever. Their entire relationship has no real tension. And I know, I know Sarah knows this as, a, as an author who's actually done this. But all love stories are predicated on an obstacle. And there's no obstacle keeping them apart. Yeah. They like each other. Uh, her business is booming thanks to him. Like... The, there's nothing nothing bad happens in this entire, this entire they, like, they get to a point as the book goes on where they kind of introduce the idea that Evelyn has some sort of um, like intimacy issues or she has trouble connecting to him or being open about her feelings or something but it's all so kind of amorphous they don't really go into where that comes from and it just feels like this sort of plot device that because they need to be broken up for a while just for the story to go somewhere but it's not actually ingrained in the characters at all. 
Yeah. Totally and, agree. And so it's just this story about these two people who want to be together, who live together. Who are married. Who are married. <laughs> who are legally married and aren't sure if they are together. And so at first, the first night they're together, let's let's transition to the sexual politics of this. They have separate bedrooms. And she is sleeping in her own bedroom. But it's strange. And so then she gets up and she's in like normal pajamas, apparently, including like a tank top. And she puts a sweatshirt on it. And the and she thinks to herself, like, she didn't know why, but it was important to have another layer of protection, which is creepy. And then she goes and lies in bed next to him. And then it cuts to the next morning. And it does this for the entirety of the book. We'll only jump ahead to say that, like, towards the end of the novel, we'll, we'll go back to where we are in the plot. But towards the end of the novel, it re- he references, like, making love to her once. Yeah, and, I, and- I did not know they were sleeping together until, like, 30 or 40 pages after it happened. Because they're yeah. so careful about not actually saying what's happening and being overly delicate about it that it just is invisible in the book. Yeah, it's... It's really bizarre that they even go so far as to sleep together, but then not bring it up. It's also really weird, like, ostensibly, one of the reasons they need to be fake married is so that it's okay when they fuck. Like, that's morally allowed Mm. because, hey, they're married anyway. So even though this whole thing, they don't even know if they're in a relationship, it's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, But Well, I was just going to say, like, so much of the morality in this book feels like it's kind of like the letter of the law over the spirit of the law. Like this is very much a book that is in like the no sex outside of marriage camp. Like they literally call sex married people things <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> Somehow the worst term for sex. Yeah, you both are married and you're like, no, no. Yeah, no, not about it. <laughs> and it's like they, so they think that they can't sleep together if they're not married, but then they have a fake marriage, so it's okay. Even though exactly. it's purely on paper. It's, it's this weird, like, think, what are you doing to what is ostensibly the sacrament of marriage? Like, you got married as a lie to save your mm-hmm. business. That that has no moral implications in the world of this book. At one point, Evelyn literally says, like, oh, I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. Oh, she, she, she gets on her knees a couple times to God and is like, is there anything wrong with this? And she heard nothing, so she assumed it was fine. Uh, yeah, because she doesn't get struck down by lightning in the moment. Then she's just going to keep doing what she's doing. <laughs> and what's so funny is it's important to briefly talk about the Christian sex etiquette, which is like, don't fuck until you're married, which is this book. But this book basically says it's okay to have sex, even though the book also insists constantly that they're not really married. Yeah. And so it says that, like, what Jesus wants is you to get that marriage license, and then everything is cool. And then anal. (laughs) Like, that's kind of what Jesus is about in this book. Well, there's also, like, I don't know if this is jumping too far ahead, but there's a point later where they get legally divorced even though at that point in the story they are like they've decided they want to be together long term and they're planning on getting quote-unquote real married but they decide in the time in the interlude where they are not legally married but they're still like living together they're committed long term they have to stop sleeping together because they no longer have the paperwork to say that they're married (laughs) so jesus is a hall monitor for paperwork? He, he's the bouncer of the vagina. He's just standing there with a little velvet rope. You have to have your note, your hall pass. Then, so they're living together, apparently sleeping together. I did not know this, like you said, for pages and pages. I think an important detail here is that then they meet her father, and her father's kind of standoffish. And apparently she had gotten married, done all these celebrations, 
and had a best friend for a year before that that her dad, who lives in town, had never met. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the social boundaries of this are crazy. The author must, must like, lead the strangest life. The author is a serial killer. <laughs> uh, there are so many moments in this book that seem to only show up because it's maybe something that she saw that day. Like, late in the novel... Evelyn goes to her father and grandma's house and realizes that they're basically hoarders for no reason mm -hmm. and then spends a while like cleaning things up and she's describing all of these like surfaces that are just coated in trash and have just nonstop knickknacks and nonsense on them and then it just moves on. It's just like, yeah, I was really like, I thought that was going to go somewhere. I was kind of interested in like the hoarding storyline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were so desperate for anything to matter in this book. <laughs> it's such a strange uh, it's such a strange story of dress up. Like these are high schoolers. It feels like two high schoolers who don't like they're afraid to be married. They're afraid to live together. They're afraid of sex, and and they go like and they they're afraid to spend time together. And there's there's all these like there is such an undercurrent of fear with people who are like in like approaching middle age. And it's 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 so odd. Uh, so let's yeah. I mean, one I agree with you. I I do think that like. Christian romance is somewhat predicated in the idea that like, huh, like we we can't be normal about this. We have yeah. to we have to feel really tense at all times. Yeah. The marriage is great for the business though. Her plan works. Yeah. Her plan works. They she starts getting mad, crazy bookings. Yeah, they go riding on horses together. She rides on a white horse named Black Lace, which is as sexy as this book gets. And a farm yes. owned yes. by a disabled veteran, of course. <laughs> that is my favorite There's thing. There's therapy horses. I also was interested in that plot line, and then we never came back to it. I was like, I want to hear more about the therapy horses. I, it also goes out of its way to denote that the therapy services are not free. Like, <laughs> he's like, it's great. We can just show up here and do this. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. We, you have to pay for it. I mean, there's some grants, but you have to pay for it. The the free market will heal, heal the veterans as it's doing right now. So we jump ahead. It, it is it is working really well. She is getting more Business work. is booming. Ladies are coming in. Just like, get me one of them cowboys. But there's a conflict here. The co The problem is is that they had had another pact. This is this is a book of endless pacts. Every other page is just slicing your palm for the blood pact. That makes sense though with the sex thing. Like it's it's the marriage license is a pact which means they can fuck. Yep. Everything is about the paperwork. But she Evelyn and Rhett, Evelyn and Rhett have a pact wherein she will not try to set up any of the bride. Which that is, is strange because this is what she does for a living. And there's a line <laughs> where when he finds out that he thinks she's set up one of his brothers, he says something about like, oh, you played your little matchmaking game. Like, that's her career. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the whole that reason you're married to her in the first place. <laughs> exactly. It was such a bizarrely dismissive tone to take <laughs> with the ostensible reason for them even being together. But I will say the brothers, Jeremiah says, I am not interested in women, period. And I will say for a book that would never acknowledge queer people of any stripe <laughs> exist is a pretty funny take. Yeah. True, true. <laughs> but someone comes in, uh, a woman whose name escapes me, and basically wants to be set up with one of the brothers. And she doesn't even agree to do it. Yeah. I think real quickly we should say Evelyn's constantly knows exactly who should be with everyone always. <laughs> she can't figure out her own room. And she also knows where everyone is at all times, which is <laughs> kind of unnerving. There's a line that says, let's spy on them at dinner this afternoon. 
Oh, God. Maybe she's using his little cameras. (laughs) (laughs) And so... Okay, so a woman named Ivory wants to meet Trip, but she won't do it. Trip is one of the brothers. Yes, yes. However, Rhett finds out. He just, like, sees the file or something. Or I assume Rhett is just going through her paperwork at all times, spying on her as well. Well, no, what happens is... Trip starts dating Ivory. That's right. And Rhett just assumes he's like, oh, this must have been your handiwork. <laughs> well, it's also because the way they meet is like at the post office and Ivory <laughs> drops a bunch of stuff in front of him. So Rhett exactly. hears that and is like, oh, obviously this is my wife. Your signature move, the dropping of things. And then he goes out of his way to point out that Trip didn't even know where the post office was. Like, you, how, did, how could this have happened if not that you orchestrated it because someone had to draw him a map? Trip has the mental acuity of a five-year-old and you know yeah. it, Evelyn. <laughs> That's why he's upset because Trip can't consent. There's a scene that goes on for like 10 pages of him getting to the post office. Like, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the ins and outs of this, the parking lots in this town. Oh, man. Again, a town of 17,000. How would you not know where things are? There's like three roads. <laughs> You're a billionaire. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing in a post office, bro? So it's, 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 it's pretty amazing. And then, uh, and so like, they're upset. Uh, and 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 then they have a, a the the big fight. The big fight here is that Rhett declares his love. They've been living together, sleeping together, and he basically every time they see together is pawing at her body, saying he wants to be together forever and put a baby in her. That's not hyperbole. Finally, he finally declares his love, and she isn't sure. Yeah, did this make sense to any of y'all? Because this whole, I mean, we referenced it earlier. She describes it as a Texas-sized crush. She's married to him. She's sleeping with him. But when he's like, hey, I love you and I want to do this for real, she's like, <laughs> Yeah, she's literally like from the day that she met him, what, like a year and a half ago at this point, she's been yeah. all about him. <laughs> and now when he says like, oh, hey, let's actually be together, suddenly she doesn't know. And again, the way that she expresses that is by just going silent for long stretches of time. Like That's like, her signature move. That's one <laughs> special. That and dropping shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of that, so she's like praying, like trying to pray to God. I want to get to the religious stuff in a little bit. And one of the lines is, no amount of time on her knees had provided her with the answer. And, and that's just, that, that's, that's great. And so she doesn't know, and it, this just goes on. She just doesn't know for a long time. And then Rhett yells at her and... Well, yeah, so he's already upset about that because he's like, I need an answer. Can this be for real? And she's like, I don't know. And then she's like, I'll try to answer you tomorrow. And then it jumps forward a week and then another week. And she still hasn't answered. And she knows (laughs) that he's desperate for an answer. And she just keeps ignoring him. And that's when he thinks that she set up her brother. For the record, her brother's also dating. Everyone but (laughs) Jeremiah has girlfriends at this point, at various points. Like, Poor Jeremiah has just repressed himself. (laughs) I think that's plain. We all know what's going on with Jeremiah. But the point is, like, he's upset that she's breaking the pact around dating, but his brothers already are. They clearly want this. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think it's it's strange that, like, he's so mad about the thing that he thinks that she's... Uh, he's so mad that he thinks that she set up his brother, but he doesn't just go and talk to these people and find out that everyone didn't actually do it. Like there's a line where he literally says like, well, 
he maybe she's telling the truth, but he can't talk to his brother and he doesn't have Ivory's phone number. So yes! they just let the whole thing Again. fall apart because he just doesn't want to communicate. Because he can't have one honest conversation. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to find someone's phone number when you're a billionaire in a town of 17,000, <laughs> let me tell you. In a town where everyone knows each other and knows exactly what everyone else is doing all the time anyway. I also just want to briefly shout out Ivory. Ivory is just a like <laughs> badass queen in this moment because she she breaks bad man she's like you know what i don't need this fucking shifty like matchmaker i know the move now i drop (laughs) shit i can stalk men myself i can make this happen like ivory made some shit she she wanted that and she made it happen good for ivory i do think ivory must be in one of the spin-offs they spent like a chapter talking about her and her son and like all this backstory on ivory that didn't go anywhere so Either that's just another like hoarding tangent or she's going to be the heroine of another book. <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of books. There are no tangents, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It all, it's basically Game of Thrones. I assume we'll get to the end of this and be like, that was actually the greatest work in the English language. <laughs> just sobbing. Just it all sobbing. makes sense now. <laughs> all the threads tie together. So what I, what I love here is I want to I draw a contrast. So he's upset. Sadness filled him. He never wanted to be with anybody but Evelyn, which is weird because he was engaged and he's in his 40s. But he had learned one thing over the last month, patience and more patience. He had asked God to help him so many times. And every time his answer had been wait a little longer. However. Yeah, this is this is the moment where he says, I can wait no more. (laughs) He pretty quickly after that passage just decides like, fuck it, I'm out. And she doesn't, she doesn't put up a fight. She's like, okay. Like, she doesn't actively support it. She just kind of sits around and waits for the divorce papers to go through. Well, she literally doesn't show up to the hearing. Yeah, which, again, no prenup, ostensibly makes her a multi-hundred millionaire. Never gets brought up, but, like, bro didn't have that paperwork, so... It's, it's, it's just, it's never, nothing is contested. That, that's basically all they say. And, and then she enters, I, I want to talk about something here briefly. It enters in this period where she is just self-lacerating. This is this is where where Evelyn just spends all this time being like, "This is my fault. Rhett is correct. I am the worst. Why can't I love him?" And continually talks about how Rhett was correct. He was perfect. And and kind of like two of our other episodes with "I Still Believe" and uh, "Unplanned," the abortion movie. This is the third piece of Christian media ostensibly targeted towards women where the men literally have no flaws and are more correct than the women at every single turn. It's very strange. The men are both objects and sort of deified. Yeah, it's bizarre. And especially because in a way they both Red and Evelyn are presented as having the same issue that they like have trouble um, like getting through to their feelings or making commitments to people, or they've both been kind of hurt in relationships in the past and can't get through it. But yet Rhett is presented as like, oh, it's just this sort of thing that happened in the past, but now he's over it. Whereas with Evelyn, oh, it's all her fault. It causes the marriage to fall apart. It's this much bigger thing. Yeah, he starts with relationship issues and then they disappear instantaneously. She never has them until this moment and then they're super severe. Yeah, (laughs) and we don't know where they came from. Exactly, yeah. It's very, very strange. I agree with the like men being deified at one point she describes this argument that she has and he goes she's like oh i guess it wasn't really an argument it was mostly just him talking and he was saying really amazing things <laughs> like he's yelling at her and she's like correct correct i i am i am human shit correct it's 
really and then this goes on for like 50 pages oh, yeah. i don't know the internalized misogyny and this is the last thing i'll say about this is amazing because men because it, it the because essentially in order for these men to be objects of desire for these women the women have to be lesser than them well and it's also like the men have to be perfect mm. like if the the audience for this is women the female character is the one who is flawed because we can relate to her but the men are held up as this kind of like perfect idealized fantasy love interest which in this type of genre means they can't have any flaws to the point where they're completely unbelievable so if he you know was even 20 percent responsible for the things that go wrong in their relationship then he's not a viable love interest anymore according to the rules of the genre at least christian gray had those scars yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point. They mm-hmm. they have to be perfect. Any flaw, you know, one one piece of sand in the microchip and the whole thing falls apart. He's no longer the perfect billionaire cowboy, selfless, works for free for, to help the family farm. Uh, let's see, buys a house and furnishes it, but also doesn't give a shit about furnishings. Like, <laughs> it, it's such a weird level of like, oh, even his boots are perfect. Like, even his shoulders are perfect. Also... We get tons of descriptions of his appearance. The only thing we hear about hers is that she she's like, oh, I should have lost another 10 pounds for the wedding. Yeah. And then being like, oh, but he doesn't care about that. I think at one point she's wearing like a yellow blouse in a scene. And we keep hearing about the blouse, but we don't really ever hear much about what she looks like. I mean, Rhett apparently thinks she's super hot. <laughs> yeah, clearly. But that's that you kind of only ever see her through his eyes, and he's a dullard. So it's just kind of hard to get a sense of what she's a looks dullard like. or the perfect man. They but, might not be different. Yeah. Uh, I've never been called a perfect man before. <laughs> so they're divorced. She goes to her grandma. Her grandma says, You just need to channel some of me, dear. There's nothing you've done that you can't undo. Yeah, it- nobody actually believes that they break up. <laughs> <laughs> no one in this entire town, uh, like all his brothers are like, you're going to get back together though. Which, especially given the whole marriage was a sham to start with, they seem awfully <laughs> eager to believe in it. Yeah, they're also weirdly not that upset when it all comes out. Like she's really mad at, at Rhett for staying in a hotel one night. And she's like, don't you understand what that means in a town like this? Now our business is everywhere. Which is true because the next day the entire town knows that he was staying in a hotel and they all know oh, yeah. that they've broken up. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's it's very the lives of others. Like, it's just oh, like, it is. Yeah, everyone is just spying on everyone. Uh, this is secretly set in East Germany. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's so strange. She is punished just for needing time. I kind of wanted to bring this up too. Like, yeah. all she, he says he loves her. They've been together at this point for like a few months. Four months, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and he is like, I love you. Let's be in this for real. And she's just like, hey, this is obviously going well. We're boning down. We are living together. Why don't you just give me a little time? And he can't deal with that. Like, he is actually insanely controlling and manipulative. Yeah, like, he can't let her actually just be honest about what she's feeling and say that, hey, I, I don't know yet. Instead, it has to turn into, well, that's that's not good enough. We're getting a divorce. <laughs> well, as it says uh, in the text, it had been her who had ruined everything. Yep. Yep. That was a big one. And so <laughs> she hadn't even changed her name when they got married. <gasps> For their fake marriage. <laughs> he should have he should have seen all these red flags from the beginning. <laughs> I mean, I would think the fact that the whole thing is a sham is kind of a red flag. <laughs> uh, Wait, 
Is that not how marriage is supposed to work? Or how about this tiny cul-de-sac of an aside? She giggled in his arms once before admitting she loved the internet more than everything. What? Oh, that had been their conversation that night. One thing they absolutely loved and couldn't live without. He'd said pocket knives, and she'd said the internet. What the fuck? <laughs> I kind of think they're made for each other after reading that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Having known a few knife guys in my time, not, not good people. <laughs> Anyone that's got a knife collection, mm, not into it. So the divorce is in progress. It'll take some months to go through. He has taken to having his Tuesday breakfast at the pancake barn. And apparently, this is from the text. Of course, he still looked like a male model still with that sexy hat perched on his head and his trademarked t-shirts that seemed tailored for his shoulders and biceps. No wonder the man had legions of women's here stalking him as he sipped coffee each morning. What? <laughs> When I say I want to hunt billionaires for sport, <laughs> this is not what I mean. At the pancake house. <laughs> so she finds him at the pancake house and they make up. Uh, yeah. I, are we jumping too far ahead? Are there other things we need to cover? I feel like we're getting pretty close to the end. And I feel like this was a long dark night of soul, but maybe we've handled it. Uh, we can get more into it. Well, it kind of just goes back and forth with the same stuff over and over again, I that think. Like true. she makes multiple attempts to contact him to meet up with him they'll kind of talk but not really he'll not show up she's like going back and forth to different members of her family talking about everything that she's done wrong so it just kind of keeps going with the same sort of stuff for a while before they finally have a conversation at the pancake house they make up everyone applauds it's beautiful yeah <laughs> i think that's so good real quick can we cover the church yeah. Because I, I think that's the one important thing that happens is she walks up to him in church. Mm. And this is like a big moment for her because she's being emotionally honest for the first time in this fucking book. And she's like, he did it. He told me the truth. I need to do the same thing. And then she walks up and she doesn't say anything. She's just like, uh, can, can we have breakfast? And he's like, I don't know. And that's it. That's And then he goes, that was her apology. Like, he figures out later that, like, that's as emotionally honest as she gets in this whole book. <laughs> and she, it's portrayed as brave because the church is full of catty bitches. So, like, <laughs> her walking up to him in that moment when everyone knows their business is, like, her choosing emotional strength in the face of this terrible town. And she invites him back to breakfast and he doesn't show up. He doesn't fucking show up. And I that's when she hunts him down at the pancake house where everyone already knows, which is treated as this big discovery for her. She's like, I know where he would be. He loves those Western omelets. Literally every other woman in town is already there every morning watching him eat. <laughs> <laughs> those other women deserve it more i'm sorry those women are making it happen yeah they're putting in the work they're showing up they're, they're like eating so many shitty pancake breakfasts <laughs> with like that are like made to smiles with whipped cream and they're just eating them up they don't care they don't care uh the the waiter behind the counter is talking to Rhett, being like you're good for business <laughs> that's true like, that Rhett at this point is basically like a, a shirtless guy standing outside an abercrombie to try to drum up business like that's that's the this man's role at this point also i think this explains why none of the women in this town have real jobs why they're all like <laughs> yeah. matchmakers or like jewelry makers because they have to spend all their time like stalking the men around town <laughs> they have to go to the pancake house pancake house the feed store Anything that you just got to get them off the ranch and then you can nab them. <laughs> like, I, 
it's just it's a by the way this is also an entire world where men have no sex drive or desire to be with women of their own volition yeah men are portrayed i mean literally we saw this with the yeah. brothers decide having a pack tonight not i have fuck no anyone. interest in women period yeah uh, but yes, like men are completely oblivious to women, their charms, any sort of sexuality. They're just going about their day doing cowboy shit and you got to <laughs> snag them, wrangle them to the ground. There's even a scene stuff. where like two of the brothers, I forget which ones, but they're like out at a restaurant or something. And these two attractive women approach them and are like, hey, are you going to the dance next week? And one of the brothers is to the other is like, we have a pact. And they just tell the woman like, no, and they leave. <laughs> They're like so rude. <laughs> it's like they're twelve-year-old boys. The it's... He-Man Woman Haters Club. Yeah, that's so funny. Uh, I, Zach, I'm going to insist that every time we're in public together from this point on, <laughs> anytime anyone of any gender identity tries to talk to us, we just yell, "We have a pact!" and run away. <laughs> Michael, you're just describing the past. <laughs> that's how we ended up in Los Angeles. <laughs> We couldn't get any further. <laughs> We're four miles from the ocean. <laughs> That's true. So, so she hunts him down at the pancake house. They make up, and then they immediately rush back to the house to make out. But instead of fucking, they decorate for Christmas. That's what you do. <laughs> but they're not even going to be there for Christmas. They make a big deal of this over and over <laughs> again about the fact that they're spending Christmas in the Caribbean, but they still have to decorate for Christmas at, like, all of their houses. <laughs> yeah, she's like... It's, they can't pay to have it done! It's, like, five scenes with the mom being like, I need you to come to the Caymans for Christmas, and and Rhett being like, I don't know! Can can my wife come? Like, it's it's just so weird. Will, will, will there be room for her? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, they get... They, they get back together by getting divorced. Oh, yeah. This is treated as a good thing. Yeah. So it's important that they get divorced. So then they can have the real wedding with everyone there and the whole to do. Yeah. That's how you know it's real. And he says at one point, you know, because she doesn't want him spending all this money on her. You know, she talks about getting a job. I think my favorite part is when she's like, I will need a job. Oh, yeah. After the divorce happens, her business dries up. She okay. goes, she, she's like, I got to get out this matchmaking game. No one will ever trust me again. Never mind that I'm marrying a billionaire in like a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. How life And owns her own ranch already. No, she's going to be an accountant. Fuck you. <laughs> And so they get divorced, they have a real wedding, and, and, and Rhett's like, God bless me with money so I could use it for good things, and you're a good thing. The Shining Star Ranch, which is her ranch, is a good thing. And that's the only time you see him using his money for something other than, like, wrestling with his brothers and buying her houses. He says he firmly believed God had blessed him with the money to take care of people he loves. Billions to buy her three-bedroom house in Texas. <laughs> Five of the people you love are also billionaires. <laughs> uh, yeah, at one point, he talks about how the brothers can buy the ranch from him if he moves. And it's like, why are you worried yeah, about who this? Cares? It's worth 200 grand. So they finally get married. This is bizarrely short. Yeah. After all of, I really expected them to pull out the stops for the wedding, but the it's the final chapter and it's the shortest one. It's like three paragraphs of them mm -hmm. being like, and that, and now we had a wedding. Yep. The pastor performs it. Of course. Uh, she's forty. Uh, the the book negs her for her weight, mm -hmm. but apparently Rhett looked great in his fancy black tuxedo, a cowboy hat perched on his head, and a smile on his. 
See, I have a feeling that each of these seven books is going to end in like basically the same wedding. So maybe that's why it's short is because she was like, okay, I'm, I'm already tired of this. I can't like do yeah. all my wedding energy in this one scene. Yeah. I, I think the like seven sons, <laughs> se you know, it says Christmas brides for billionaire brothers. Like this is not singular. So clearly we're going to have more Christmas weddings. We don't even meet all the sons in this one. There are like no. rodeo guys. Wyatt is a rodeo guy. Yeah. He's a rodeo billionaire. Tired from the rodeo and he's coming to the ranch yeah he's tune in next week to see Wyatt I bet I bet he's the real wild he's, one he's a billionaire who's also moving to this one specific plot of land again he might be the only good billionaire because at least he's having fun torturing animals like Aww. the rest of them can't even enjoy it I think one of the last things I want to do here that Sarah you can uh, Evelyn had recentered her focus where it should be again Evelyn in the wrong her relationship with Rhett and her relationship with God. The only two things that can matter in any woman's life. I think this might be a solid segue. Uh, where the fuck was her relationship to God? Yeah. I didn't see one. It feels like she, she prays at a bunch of moments throughout the book, and she always looks for an immediate response. And basically, either that response confirms what she's already doing, and so she's like, okay, great, I'm going to keep doing this, or she doesn't get a response at all. So she's like, okay, great. I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> That's pretty much her relationship to God throughout the book. She prays to God the way I, I am to girls in middle school, <laughs> where if they didn't respond immediately, I'm like, it's over. She hates me. It's done. Like, she has no chill. <laughs> I, I think the, the Christianity is so interesting here because they, they are at church. They clearly can't fuck until they're married and only when they have that specific piece of paper between them. And they the the they talk about the they run into the pastor on their first date after they get engaged. Always a sign of a good first date when you run into your pastor. <laughs> he performs their wedding, and they're in church several times. Yeah, and, and this the but I think I, it still feels like the billionaire thing, unless you guys uh, like have other thoughts that it's just it's purely decorative. Yeah, I would say intentionally so. Like mm. just just like the wealth matters a lot and t but doesn't really get brought up like the the religion in this book is just kept so like out of focus mm -hmm. so that it can connect with whoever you are and wherever you're coming from like there's just there's just prayer there's never really any acknowledgement that basically everyone is doing terrible things this entire book like every action taken by Rhett and uh evelyn is just awful and dishonest and gross including marriage which christians ostensibly are supposed to take seriously like they got fake married that's weird uh <laughs> but god only ever really exists as like another sister <laughs> that you can go to sometimes and talk about your problems and maybe that she'll have some good advice and maybe she won't but either way she, she you know he's she's god is just one of those sisters god is the grandma who you go and visit god is a hoarder <laughs> the universe only keeps expanding <laughs> it is true that i feel like the religion in the book has to be completely positive it can never be anything like challenging or difficult or negative which kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about like religion is either portrayed as a bad thing or if it's Christian media, it has to be like 100% sweet and wonderful and happy and don't we love going to church, you know? It can't be something that is like an actual meaningful thing in their lives. It just has to be this kind of sweet, friendly thing to draw the readers in and to make them think like, oh, I'm, I'm reading a nice Christian romance. That's good. 
Yeah, I go to church. I lust after cowboy billionaires. Yeah, like I'm, I'm reading a Christian romance and not a regular one, so I'm, I'm making the moral choice just because they mention Jesus every 70 pages. Yeah, that is about the ratio, mm-hmm. too. And not even Jesus. It's just God. Like, Well, I think, do we want to look at the rest of the series and like the titles of these books? Yeah. Yeah, please. I, I'm, uh, I'm excited to hear more from Liz Isaacson's oeuvre. So just in, I think that she has multiple series that she's put out, but just in the series alone. So they're all Christmas Brides for Billionaire Brothers, but the first one is Rents Make Believe Marriage, Trips Trivial Tie, <laughs> I can't even say, <laughs> Liam's Invented I Do, Jeremiah's oh. Bogus Bride, so even Jeremiah gets in on the action, Wyatt's yeah. Pretend Pledge, Skylar's wannabe wife, and Micah's mock matrimony. <laughs> Seven ways of saying fake marriages. I had no idea that they were all fake marriages. All seven brothers are billionaire cowboys with fake marriages. It, it, it really becomes this kind of like Brechtian recursion. This like Nietzschean idea of like torture for each of these brothers and each one of them is a new circle of hell. Yeah, they broke the pact, so now they must be punished with fake marriages. It really does feel like David Lynchian. Like what is going on in this town? Something is in the water. <laughs> People move here and go crazy. <laughs> I actually now am on board for reading more of these. Like, I, I think I kind of have to see, like, <laughs> at what point are cowboys just being hunted in the street? Like, there's just a, a, a mob of women with, like, pitchforks and torches being like, bring us the cowboys. I I I'm, uh, I look forward to future episodes. <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is absolute madness. I, uh, I did a little Googling of the author, and her bio is... Very funny, but one of the sentences, she writes inspirational romance, usually set in Texas and Montana, or anywhere else horses and cowboys exist. Yeah, we didn't really talk about the horse love in this book. There's a <laughs> lot, there's an uncomfortable amount of horse love in this book. Like, horses horses get ridden a lot, that's where all the romance ha- happens, is atop horses. Uh, it's, it's like... PG-13 Cormac McCarthy when it comes to how much these dudes love horses. Isn't that part of the genre, though? You have to have horses. You have to have... There's a lot of barns. There's a lot of, like, weird adult dances, which I didn't think were a thing that happened, but <laughs> in this community, apparently <laughs> hey, so. Sarah, you were part of Cotillion. I don't know what yeah, to tell you. Yeah. They don't mention it, but all of those uh, swing dancing meetups are two NSYNC songs. Yes. I would, I would actually want to see that scene if that happened. <laughs> This might not even be worth getting into, but one of the other titles is her cowboy billionaire best friend. The friendship element is strange. They are friends for a year first, and just Christians across sex should not be friends is kind of all I'm getting from this. Because they don't do it right. Friendship, right? Like, they have to be the courting friends before they can actually get married. Yeah, but even the book acknowledges that part's boring because it skips all of it. <laughs> Michael, who's done more years of courtship than of marriage, would still agree, agree that like you skip all that. In both cases, there's a lot of quivering. That was wonderful. Thank you both for just delving into that. And I, I, uh, I look forward to future episodes. Yeah. Sarah, thank you for introducing us to this. I feel like uh, I, I should I apologize. I, <laughs> I feel like we all need to wash our brains out. <laughs> yeah, with, with more reality TV and Tiger King. <laughs> Wholesome entertainment. Uh, that was true before. Uh, but Sarah, you don't just read cowboy billionaire romances. You're an author yourself. And I, uh, I'm excited to talk a little bit about your book, The Plus One. Why don't you tell 
our readers about it. Yeah, so there's uh, no cowboys in it, unfortunately. <laughs> it takes place in Silicon Valley. Um, it's a romantic comedy, and the main character is a robotics engineer who builds uh, a boyfriend as a wedding date, essentially. And um, so it That's starts fine. out as like a kind of a ruse, but then eventually she starts developing real feelings for him and everything kind of spirals out of control. So it's it's a rom-com. It's got a little bit of a sci-fi element to it. Um, it's sort of like weird science in reverse, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's more of like a... It's that movie takes place all in, in one night. This is more of like a relationship story, so it's a little bit more in depth. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's it's called the Plus One. There's also a version that just came out in the UK um, called How to Build a Boyfriend from Scratch, which is same book, but they just changed the title in the cover, and that just came out like a couple weeks ago. Um, so yeah, it's. It's, it's a fun read. Check it out. <laughs> now, uh, I, I strongly encourage our listeners to get it wherever you can get books. Uh, Amazon, I understand, for most of you. But it is it is funny. It is hilarious. I, it's a scream. I, it's one of the few books I laughed out loud at. Aww. So go buy several copies for you, for your friends, for people you know who can't read. It's fine. They'll we're, find a way to use we're it. We're all stuck indoors right now. How better to entertain yourself? Yeah, this is the time. <laughs> robot boyfriends. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This was um, this was harrowing at times, but <laughs> like I learned a lot. I've been on a journey, and this was fun. You know, we we've all gotten older together. I'm wearing chaps now for for some reason. Oh yeah, my belt buckle has just been swelling in size over the course of this recording. <laughs> yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. <laughs> <laughs> a journey of spiritual discovery. <laughs> a, 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 uh, with carnal consequences. <laughs> that would be a great title, actually. <laughs> uh, through the next book, Sarah. Thank you so much. And where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Sarah Archer M on Twitter. Um, you can also check out my website, which is saraharcherwrites.com. And I have like all my links to social media handles and everything on there in one place. Um, you know, the book is there. I have a blog, all that stuff. So yeah, I'm on the internet all the time. I have no life. So come, <laughs> yeah. come. Spoken like a true writer. Sarah's a great Twitter follow as well. Uh, my name is Zachary Allard. You can find me at Zachary underscore Allard. Michael Tabor, at Michael Tabor. And this has been this week's episode of Shitty Christians. Uh, Rate and review us on iTunes and buy Sarah's book. Cowboys ain't easy to love and they're harder to hold. They'd rather give you a song than diamonds or gold. Long star belt buckles and old faded Levi's and each night begins a new day. If you don't understand him, he don't die young. He'll probably just ride away. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Don't let them pick guitars or drive them old trucks. Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up cowboys they never stay home and they're always alone even with someone they love cowboys like smoky old pool rooms and clear mountain mornings little warm puppies and children and girls of the night Them that don't know him won't like him And them that do sometimes won't know how to take it He ain't 
strong, he's just different, but his pride won't let him do things to make you think he's right. 